read it for you here. This is a little bit earlier in the chapter. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have enough room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I know what to do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away now for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything that you worked for? Jesus is telling us the story of this wealthy landowner because the landowner is fixated on one thing. He is fixated on his wealth, on his livelihood. What's missing? This is what is missing in this parable. The landowner never asks a question about a relationship with God. There is no reference to God. There is no reference to God's providence. There is no reference to God's provision. What Jesus is telling us is a story of what humanity often looks like. We are singularly focused on making sure that we are going to have enough. The wealthy landowner spends no time thinking about God, no time thinking about the poor. He is fixated on his wealth and having enough wealth. Before he builds the bigger storage barns, doesn't he already have wealth? Couldn't he eat, drink, and be merry at that point? But he sacrifices that for a later date. Yet, the poor who have very little, they know how to eat, drink, and be merry with very little. One of the visits that we have made is to uh, the, the rivers, the Salt River in particular usually, um, sometimes the Rio Verde, but we do that for our adult baptisms. And one of the things that, that we find is um, signs of parties. And sometimes parties are happening right when we're going down there to the river to do the baptisms. And the parties are being celebrated by all kinds of people. Different colors, different socioeconomic backgrounds. But I'll tell you what, it looks to me like they're all having fun. It doesn't make any difference whether they have or they don't have. They're having fun. The problem here is not that this man is wealthy. That's not the problem. The problem here is that the man has not entrusted his life to God. Jesus does not speak against wealth in this parable. Instead, he raises up the need for our relationship with God. We are called to have a relationship with the God who created us, with the Savior who redeemed us, with the Spirit 
who is present with us. We are called to have that relationship. And here's the good news. God cares for you. Yes, you. God cares for you. Even even if you're wealthy, God cares for you. In verse 32, the very beginning of our reading today, it says, so don't be afraid, little flock. For it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid, little sheep. For it is God's great pleasure, great happiness to give you the kingdom. What a promise that God cares for you and for me. There's no need to worry about whether you're going to have enough money or wealth because God is your shepherd. God finds great joy in giving to you. And God will provide because God is the first giver and gives all the greatest gifts. As a matter of fact, Luke tells us that God has chosen not only to care for you, but get this, God has chosen to give you the kingdom. Do you remember that kingdom that we've been looking for? It's already here. And it's already in you and around you. Because God has given it for you. God gives you the very kingdom that you seek. God has placed it right into your life. And because God has already given you the kingdom, you don't need to be afraid or to be anxious or to be fearful. Because God gives you the kingdom, you are set free to have a relationship with God. Remember the relationship that the wealthy landowner didn't have? You are able to have that relationship with God. Because God has given you the kingdom. So then we hear about treasure in heaven. So what is this this treasure in heaven? Because it says where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. So do we want our treasures on earth or do we want our treasures in heaven? Well, what came to mind for me as I'm reading this um, was the, the very first thing was heavenly treasures. I think of the fruit of the spirits, the fruit of the spirit. Um, this past week, I mentioned in the announcements that we had the music camp here by the Arts Academy. And um, one of the great things about this camp that I thought um, was the Thursday night. Uh, it wasn't a performance, it was an informance. They were trying to inform the parents and the grandparents of all the things that the kids had studied and learned that past week. And this was, Patty uh, said this was Alex's idea, it's a brilliant idea. It was to give each of the children, participants, an award. Not a trophy, not, not a certificate, an award that demonstrated their primary fruit of the Spirit through the week. 
So one little girl got joy because she was just filled with joy everywhere she went. One participant got patience because they put up with a lot through the week and they were still very patient. And, and so each person received one of these gifts. And it was interesting visiting with some of the parents afterwards because of all the, the musical things that they learned, the thing that seemed to resonate most with these parents was the spiritual gift award that they had received, their child had received. So when I think about heavenly treasures, I mean, I, that's one of the places that my mind goes to is, uh, is uh, fruits of the spirit. And uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. Um, I need some help on the last ones. Gentleness and self-control. Did I forget one? Goodness. How could I have forgotten goodness? <laughs> How could I have forgotten goodness? With all these peacemakers planting peace. Jesus speaks of an even important, more important treasure here, however, in verse 34. This is what Jesus says. Whether your treasure is there, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And so what Jesus is talking about here is seeking God's kingdom by setting your heart on God's kingdom. Like my sailing experience, seeking the kingdom of God is where you orient your life in and around God's kingdom. As I would have to orient the boat around the wind, maybe some of the waves, the rudder. So in discipleship, we orient our lives around God's kingdom. And where is God's kingdom? How is God's kingdom coming? You see, God has given us the very best gift that God has, the kingdom of God. And so what is our response? Our response is our theme. Because we have this kingdom, we're called to seek out this kingdom. So how does one do that? Well, I think we can do that by listening to the Holy Spirit and finding out where the Holy Spirit is leading us to follow Jesus. Because by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is active in our community. Where are some of the places? Well, those are the questions that you kind of have to ask. Where do you hear from the Holy Spirit? Where do you hear Jesus working? And how can you participate in that work? You see, because Jesus is calling us to seek this kingdom that is within us, that is around us. Here's an illustration. How much time do we focus on our earthly treasures? Working, making money, saving money. And how much time do we focus on our heavenly treasure, our relationship with God? Reading scripture, 
prayer, listening to Jesus, listening to the Holy Spirit speaking to us. I think all of us could say that, if not always, at least at times, we are out of balance and not in a healthy way. And so one of the things that that we might be called to do is to work on that relationship with God. And maybe someone is wealthy, and Jesus is not saying that wealth is bad, but maybe what Jesus is saying is, have you ever thought about how your wealth can serve the kingdom of God? Is there a way for my wealth to give support to those in need, those who are poor? Today we have all kinds of financial tools that can help people to do that with trusts and endowments and those kinds of things. So Jesus is calling us to seek the kingdom First of all, by setting our heart on the kingdom of God, focusing our time and our energy more on the things of heaven rather than the things of the earth. Now, you have to, those of you who are working, you got to go to work. I get it. I have to go to work. We have these things to do. But does that preoccupy all of our lives? Or does God ever enter in as a part of our life? Where is our heart? On the earthly kingdom or on our spiritual kingdom? In the next section of scripture, let me read this. Jesus says, Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you'll be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are, already, who are ready and waiting for his, uh, for his return will be rewarded, I tell you the truth. He himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whatever, whenever he comes in, he will still reward the servants. We're ready. Jesus calls us to seek the kingdom by setting our hearts towards the kingdom of God, and then secondly, by being faithful. Being faithful means to be vigilant for Christ's coming. In Jesus' day, a household looked a lot different than a household in our day. If you talk about your household today, most likely you're talking about your nuclear family. In Jesus' day, a household encompassed a lot of people, and they all lived together most often. They had homes that uh, could be rather large, that had wings, so each family might occupy a different wing of the household. And the kitchen was found in the courtyard in the middle of the house, And so a household would include the parents, the grandparents, the children. might include some brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, some cousins. It might also include um, some employees. If you had a business and you employed people, they would be a part of your household. And any servants or slaves that you had were a part of your household. 
So slaves or servants were not people that you went to pick up at the Home Depot parking lot for the day. They were people that came and lived with you and became a part of your family. And so when we talk about household here, what Jesus is conveying um, looks a little different than what we would think of as, as a household. So when he says that they're to wait, the servants, the slaves, in essence, the Greek word is doulos, which means slave. They kind of doctor it up to make it sound a little nicer here by calling it servants. But they're literally talking about slaves. The slaves are waiting for the return of the master. I mean, the whole household is, but for some reason Jesus is talking about the, the servants, the slaves here. And while they're waiting, the master comes. And because the servants have been waiting and are prepared for the arrival, the master does something really unique and different. The master takes the place of the servant, of the slave, and he begins to feed the servants. So the servants, the slaves who would normally be feeding the food to the participants, now they become the participants. And Jesus is the slave who is serving them. If Jesus is the master, and the disciples and the others hearing this parable are the slaves, then Jesus has quite a promise for us when he comes again. When he returns, the master will take the form of a slave and he will serve a feast for the slaves who are now participants. And might we even suggest masters? The promise is given for the slaves. When Jesus returns, they will be seated at the table and he will serve them. This is good news. Jesus makes a reference to this a little bit earlier in this chapter when he says this. Then turning to the disciples, he said, This is what I tell you, not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So Jesus is saying, let's set our hearts on the kingdom of God. Let's hold on to that faith, that trust that God will provide. And not just enough for today, but God will provide a huge celebration feast on the day when Jesus comes again. I know some of the stories in the Bible 
have us fearful about Jesus' second coming. This is one that should make us look forward to it. So brothers and sisters, be faithful, be vigilant, be prepared. The kingdom is yours. Jesus is already preparing the feast. For the master has become the slave and the slaves will become participants in table fellowship. Think about that. We're all at the table together. And if you have any doubt where Jesus' teaching is going, all we need to do is to look a little bit later in this chapter, in chapter 22, verses 24 to 27, where Jesus continues this teaching. Then they, the disciples, began to argue among themselves about who was the greatest among them. And Jesus told them, in, the wor- in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people. Yet they are called friends of the people. Strange. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important than the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. Whether we serve or whether we are served doesn't make any difference. What becomes critically important here for us is that our lives reflect Jesus, the kingdom of God, and our faithfulness in following Jesus. And then we have this little ending here, which uh, doesn't really seem to fit in Jesus' teaching. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. You must also be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Let me first put you to ease if this is upsetting you. Jesus is not comparing himself to a thief. What What he is doing is telling us just to be prepared because there is one certainty and that is that he is the master that he is the savior that he is the lord that is certain the coming of the savior the coming of the man the son of man who will come again that is certain jesus is coming again can i get an amen for that Jesus is coming again. And what we don't know is when. So it's like this timing of a thief coming and to steal something from your home. You don't know when it's going to happen or you would have stopped it. So let's be prepared. Let's be prepared, friends. So what has God been saying to us? What has God been saying to you? If you haven't taken some time to listen lately, listen to God. Listen to what God is speaking to you. Work on your relationship and focus on your treasures in heaven. 
Remaining faithful to God is a gift because it keeps us oriented towards our Heavenly Father rather than towards our earthly accomplishments and accumulations, which will go away when we die. I had a conversation with a man who was doing a fund appeal once, and he told me that he had gone to visit this farmer who owned lots of farmland, very wealthy man. And he asked the man to give a gift to the church. And the man said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to give a gift to the church because I might need it. And the layperson who went to visit this man to ask for the gift said, well, let's have this conversation again in 50 years and see if you've changed your mind. <laughs> His point being, God will provide. God will provide. Do not worry about the future. You can't take it with you. The only thing you can take with you is that relationship that you're working on. And that is beautiful. That is the most beautiful thing in the world. And so teach that relationship to your children and to your grandchildren and relish those relationships because those will continue. They will not go away. Let's pray. Mighty God, we thank you for the gift of your son Jesus, for his teachings, as random and complicated as they might seem sometimes. They're really quite simple. And help us to keep it simple. As we think about, as we look out into this world and we see the poor, those suffering from illness, the bereaved, as we look out into this world and we see people with disabilities, Lord, you have called us to be your people. And so help us to listen to what specifically you might be wanting us to do and help lead us so that we might follow you, Jesus. Amen.